you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am on a mission to get the absolute most out of life, inspire others to do the same, and inspire millions, if not everybody in the corporate world and beyond to own their careers. That's what my book is about. And that is what this podcast is about as well. You're going to see some changes to the podcast and how we do things in 2022. But for now, I want to share another great interview with you that will help you own your career and develop your personal brand. And that is something that many of us are dealing with mastering virtual meetings and communication in this virtual remote world. And my guest is Lauren Sergi. Lauren is an expert on this subject. She's helped lots of different individuals and companies across North America and Europe. And she has two books. Her first is called The Handy Communication Answer Book, which came out in 2017. And her latest book is called Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. And she is an expert on how to do just that and manage our time and our mindset and our well-being, as well as develop our brand in this virtual world. And I talked to her about all of those things in this interview. This is for anybody who deals with virtual meetings, who runs virtual meetings, who attends a lot of virtual meetings on Zoom or any other platform. I think it's going to be helpful and I hope you get value. Enjoy. All right. I'm joined now by Lauren Sergi, author of the Handy Communication Answer Book and her latest book, Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Really excited to have you on. We've, we've chatted before, and I know you are feeling a big need right now as people are still trying to figure out virtual communications. I mean, as you and I recorded this, we're almost two years into the pandemic, the lockdown, people working more remotely, virtually, et cetera. You'd think a lot of people have this stuff figured out, and yet I probably can't go a single day without seeing someone talking before unmuting themselves or, you know, making some other type of mistake. And, and that stuff happens. I do it as well. You know, I, I say that to prove the point that like, we're still trying to figure all this stuff out. It doesn't come naturally to us. What are you observing and seeing out there as you're working with different companies and people? Well, the big thing is that, like you said, it doesn't come, there is nothing natural about this. Right. And we hope that it will become natural. But the, the truth of technologically mediated communication is that it's not natural. And what I'm seeing at this point is that there is either a significant sense of resignation that, well, I guess this is how it's going to keep being because it hasn't been really getting better over the past year or so to just being tired and frustrated with it. I think that at this point, people have broadly accepted that this is now a mainstream, normal, quote unquote, form of communication, that it's not going anywhere. No one thinks that it's going to go away anytime soon anymore, which is good. But it's kind of like, you don't know what to do with it. We've done what we can. What now? Yeah. And that's where the, that's where the, just the, oh, kind of sets in. Right. And things have certainly changed a lot. I mean, I've been using, for example, I've been using Zoom since probably 2013, or maybe earlier when it first came out. And I remember before the pandemic, so often I would set up, uh, I would set up meetings with people I met on LinkedIn, clients, potential clients, and I'd use a Zoom link. 
And half the time they wouldn't have their video on. And I had to kind of like awkwardly ask like, hey, do you want to turn your video on? And like, it was always this very awkward conversation. And since COVID, since the pandemic, it's almost like 100% people have their video on, they're ready to go, they understand, right? So the norms around it have changed. Like, okay, this is how we talk to people. I'm not going to be meeting people face-to-face, so I'm going to get on camera. Of course, I've heard that the flip side of that is a lot of people get what's called Zoom fatigue, right? They're on camera too much. That doesn't happen really for me. Maybe that's because I just like looking at myself and looking at other people. Uh, but are, are you seeing and hearing that from, from people as well? Yes, I am. I am seeing and hearing more Zoom fatigue than not. You are one of our unicorns, Andy, who is not really feeling it. I, I love this medium. Like, like you, I have been working with this medium since the beginning of my business. It is wonderful. It makes so much possible, makes so much happen. Uh, But the Zoom fatigue issue is still a very, very real thing. And for the most part, people have acclimated to the basics of the technology. Mm -hmm. They know they should have their headphones plugged in if uh, if they ever get any echo. Most people have figured out those sorts of issues. They know they should have some kind of light on them. Maybe they don't have the right light. They know that they need to light themselves up somehow and that the camera should ideally be turned off. But the fatigue is really wearing on people. And I think we swung from, for the for the majority of those who weren't necessarily deep into Zoom like we were before the pandemic, you know, you swing from doing very little to doing just about everything on camera. And what gets missed and where the Zoom fatigue really creeps in, where it, where it sneaks up on people, is that, as I said before, this is not a normal way of communication. Mm. This is not an in-person equivalent, and we can't treat it as such, because Mm. when we try to treat it as such, a lot of the communication cues that we take for granted when we're in person that we do without thinking are lost. And when you're in virtual, you have to intentionally find different ways of inserting those cues again which means that I can't speak normally to you in order for you to feel like I am speaking normally. So for you to have a normal experience, I have to engage in very different behavior. Hmm. And that is a lot for our brains to juggle. Can you give even me an example if, of that? What, act- what, Sorry, can, go ahead. Can you give me an example of that? What does that look like? What do you mean by yeah. that? Basic one right now is the eye contact. Hmm. So for you to feel like I'm looking at you, I have to look at my camera aperture. That's that's yeah. how cameras work, right. right? Right. But the eye contact is extremely important. There is a cultural component to it. Not all cultures rely on eye contact the same way, but dominant Western cultures rely on a lot of eye contact, as do many European cultures, to indicate that we're paying attention to one another. This yeah. is the primary cue. So even if I'm looking at your face, which I am doing now, and which is what my brain wants to do, I want to be looking at your face. I can't look at the camera. And now to you, I'm not looking directly at you anymore. Mm. See, your eyes just snapped up to the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at the camera <laughs> and, now. Now I'm looking at yes, you. And, ex- and this is this is normal. Once people become aware of it, it's like almost hyper aware. Yeah. But we have to consciously override out very primitive parts of our brain that say, look at the face, look at the face, look at the face in order to look at the camera. And it's yeah. one little thing that piles on a whole bunch of other little things that make us tired. Conversation cueing. That's a big one in meetings. I'm sure you've sat in meetings where no one knows whose turn it is to speak. Mm -hmm. How do we cue conversation when we're in person? We look at them. Yeah. 
right. you look facial, at the person. Facial movements, yeah, yeah hand movement, right. Body and language. You gesture to the person, you orient your body towards the person, you look at the person, you kick them under the table, whatever it is, <laughs> tends to be nonverbal. But of course, on camera, you're either gesturing to everyone or you're gesturing to no one. Mm. There's no there's no social orientation, right. so to speak, to indicate who's supposed to speak. So that becomes another little thing that our brain is like, this is yeah. weird. And it has to work around. It has to consciously think around. Yeah. So there's lots of these of these cues that we don't even realize we rely on when we're in person that are gone in virtual. Hmm. And that is part of what creates the, the Zoom fatigue. Our brains are overclocking to make up for all of this. Mm, yeah, just trying to figure all this stuff out. It's funny you say that right before we got on recording the interview with two people for the Talent Development Podcast. And because we weren't in a room together, there weren't as many of those social cues to know exactly who wanted to jump in. So I had to get really specific and saying, okay, Lauren, I want you to answer this question. Now I want this other person to answer this question. Otherwise, there's a lot of awkward silence. Luckily, we can edit some of that out. Yeah. Lauren, what would you say is, is really, what else is really broken with interpersonal workplace communication today? Uh, well, one thing that, that, that virtual really affected is the etiquette of mm. communication. Again, something that we take for granted, but that can have an outside effect when it's gone. And the main etiquette issue is whether or not cameras are off or on and how people are physically turning up when they are on camera. So an area where I've seen a ton of friction get created within teams is when certain people turn their cameras on, but there's a couple of others who simply refuse. And I've seen highly functional teams develop real, real difficulties working with each other. They get angry at each other because the one person doesn't want to be on camera. They're uncomfortable with it. They don't see the need for it. So they just don't turn it on. Meanwhile, the other person who is on camera is getting the signal. Well, they're not willing to put in the same effort into this engagement and this interaction that I'm putting in. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to work harder? Are they even paying attention? Mm. So these loss, this loss of etiquette can actually cause interpersonal communication issues down the road. And that's where it's, it's companies really do need to look at their virtual camera practices, their virtual cameras, sorry, their virtual meeting practices yeah. and homogenize them. Basically set etiquette, say this is the standard for how you're expected to show up, what you're expected to wear. You know, if you are, if you are a hoodies and t-shirt sort of company, yeah, awesome show up in hoodies and t-shirt. That's great. But if you are not, do not wear the hoodie to a meeting with the CEO and think that it's going to be okay just because you're working remotely, mm. which sounds so basic. Yeah. So basic. But when you remove the context of being in the office, now it's a decision someone clearly has to make. What do I wear? Mm. I have more options now. Right. I'm so at home with my family. Becomes, I'm at I would home normally with my dress family. casually. Everyone, everyone knows this. Why am I putting on a big pretense? So that kind of etiquette needs to be established in a company and even established within teams. Because you can, you know, if it's if it is a close team that you work with, people who have seen you at your worst at two o'clock in the morning during crunch time, they've seen you ugly cry. You can probably dress down if it's a meeting just with them or say, you know what, camera's off. Yeah, I'm. I don't want to stare at myself. Let's just all turn the cameras off. Great. Do that. But make sure that everyone's on the same page. It seems small. It's not. Mm, yeah, that is a big deal. Let's talk about your, your new book, 
which is called Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. So I can tell you're, you're very passionate about this space. There's a lot been going on. What was the impetus for this book? And, and you know, who do you want to help? What, what do you hope to solve with this? Well, the impetus was my clients. Of course, when, when everything shut down, I was looking at the various clients that I work with, and many of them are companies with high, uh, high information security needs. So finance, insurance, that sort of thing, where they are, there is no remote working, there is no virtual, because that's a whole other information security issue. So going virtual, for many of them, not all, but many, was an entirely new experience. And after a few weeks, I started reaching out saying, so how's it going with this? And as I figured it would be, it was a big old mess for many people. So my thought was, you know what? We, I wanted to help as many people as I could. I can't train everyone, but I can write a book. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a book that addressed this issue from a realistic standpoint. I do not expect people to turn their offices into mini production studios just so that they can bump up the quality of their virtuals by 20%. It's not worth that effort. But what can you do quickly, easily to significantly change the clarity of your virtual meetings? So there was that overall setup issues. Many people at the time were still really concerned about setup. But then the bigger issue of moving forward, how do you make this style of meeting work in terms of, like you said, facilitating the conversation? Now you have to say, so John, what do you, what are your thoughts on this? Amy, what are your, you have to verbally cue people. How do you change your meeting behavior to bring that into it? And then how do you control the beast that is easily scheduled virtual meetings that you don't burn yourself out. Because that was where the pendulum was swinging for a lot of people. They would be in meetings six, seven hours a day on camera. That's normal, Um, especially for people higher up the ladder. It's normal for them to be spending the vast majority of their working day on camera. And they were burning out from it. Because again, this is a cognitively heavy mode of communication. Mm. So the book was written to directly address these issues and say, this is what you have to do. And to have a lot of fun doing it. Because let's face it, this can be a deadly dull topic. Yeah, right, right. But But it's one of those, it's like necessary. Everybody deals with it. Yeah. A lot of people are, are listening, shaking their heads and like, yeah, I've had those days. I still have those days. So what are some things that you recommend for people that find themselves in a lot of Zoom meetings and want to maintain their sanity, as you said? Well, the big thing there is learning what your own personal rhythms and preferences are, because we all have the times of day when we have more energy, we start to learn where we fritter out. And if you observe kind of your energy levels over a few weeks, depending on how many video conferences you have during a day, you can sort of figure out what your tolerance is. Once you figure out your tolerance as much as possible, understanding that you need flexibility for your team and your clients and everything else, try to standardize when you do your video conferences. For some people, they're going to want to do one or two hours first thing in the morning or one in the morning, one in the afternoon with a big break in between, but they'll do that five days a week. For others, they would rather front load all of their meetings into a couple of days or three days a week and then spend two days completely off camera. They'll do calls and off camera video calls as well, just where you don't need to look at each other. But the on camera stuff is restricted to only a certain, only a few days a week. 
that helps you build in that off-camera time to kind of just let your brain reset so it's not doing all of this juggling. That's a really big one. The other, the other favorite strategy of mine are what I call transition times. I am sure that many people listening like to schedule, you know, 15-minute break. I only schedule 45 minutes. I only schedule 50-minute meetings. I like to take it one step further and say, give yourself at least a 30-minute chunk in between every virtual meeting as much as you possibly can. Reason being is that it always takes us longer to say things than we think it's going to. So with that 50, we think along our calendar lines, right? And calendars typically, especially online calendars are broken up into 30 minute chunks. So if you see 45 or 50 minutes, your brain fills in the rest of that chunk as flex time. It's okay if we run a little long. Mm -hmm. I've got another 10 minutes. My next one isn't until 10 o'clock. Meanwhile, you haven't gone to the bathroom in three hours. You're dying for another coffee. You need to follow up on a couple of things in this meeting that you'd like to tackle right away, but you have no time for it. So the 30-minute transition times gives you a little bit of flexibility in case things run long, gives you that time to get up physically away from your computer, moving around, getting your eyes off the screen, because that is a physical eyeball strain. And then gives you time for that follow-up. So you can basically close the box on one meeting and then open the box on the next. That does a lot to recharge your brain and refocus you for the next meeting. So if you are one of those individuals where it has to be five meetings a day, okay, but half an hour in between each one of those meetings, you need that transition time for yourself. And it makes a massive difference in terms of people's, in terms of people's overall fatigue. I'm literally over here looking at my schedule and like putting in breaks now, like future weeks. Oh on, yeah. On days where I have a lot of interviews because I like to batch my interviews that I do these usually a bunch on Tuesday and I'm and I'm okay with that. I try to move keep most of my interviews to the afternoons because I know that I'm better at focusing in the mornings to get important work done, things I've learned over time. And I've also learned that you've got to block time and protect your calendar, especially when you're working yeah. with big companies where people will take that time away from you. If they see that time, they're going to fill it in with stuff, right? So you've got oh, to be yes. willing to try to control that and, and build in those breaks. Otherwise you never have any. Yeah. And it's so easy to slip on this. That's the thing. It's so easy to say, well, I can squeak something in there mm -hmm. or some, like you said, someone else comes in and steals the time away from you. So it, it is a discipline of consistently protecting that time. And I view those 30 minutes as working time because yes, I am taking a break. Yes. I'm getting away from my computer, but I'm also processing what just happened and gearing up for what's going to happen again. That kind of takes away the feeling that, um, oh, I'm just frittering away several hours in these blocks of time. And no, 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 it's working time. Yeah. Uh, but it's easy to let it slip. You know, I catch myself constantly. I can sneak it in there. No, mm -hmm. you can't, Lauren. You need the chunk. You need the break. Right. Some companies that I've worked with have set up things like uh, no cameras, no camera Fridays. Mm -hmm. You can have meetings. No one has to be on camera just to give people that break from it. So intentionally setting up those blackout periods, those cameras off times, being very sure that everyone understands how they're supposed to turn up in, in terms of etiquette. Is it a cameras on or cameras off meeting? All of that sort of stuff, the transition time, it builds up to kind of create this, this protective layer on your brain because this is tiring. 
Yeah. Lauren, public speaking was always something that was already scary for a lot of people, difficult for a lot of people, you know, the long history of people trying to figure out how to master that. And it probably became more difficult for people as we moved into these virtual times, because it's harder to engage people over a camera, a virtual audience versus doing it in person. So what advice do you have? How do we do this better in a virtual world? Well, I won't, I won't sugarcoat this. I won't lie. It is harder. It is much harder. Um, again, that, that technological mediation is a big one. My focus is always on what can you, if you are giving the presentation, if you are giving the talk, what can you do to make the experience on the person, uh, for the person on the other side of the camera, what it needs to be? How it's so this is not for your comfort. This is entirely for theirs. One of the big things is that camera to camera eye contact. Mm. Can you can you make them feel like they are looking directly at you? The beautiful thing about this is, of course, if you are looking at the camera, everyone feels like you're looking directly at them. So Mm -hmm. that really increases engagement. The other engagement pieces really come into some of those behaviors we talked about before, deliberately cueing people say, Andy, now it's Andy, I'd love to hear from you. What do you think about X, Y, Z and giving them something specific to respond to? If you're speaking to a bigger crowd to more than by bigger crowd in virtual, I mean, more than five people. Yeah. If you don't give them anything specific to respond to, they'll just stare at you like a bunch of fish. (laughs) There's silence or they've all turned their cameras off. And now it's like, you're speaking into a void, which is just, oh, I have to do that a lot. (laughs) It's tricky. So giving people a specific question that they can respond to is more likely to get them to talk back. Now you've got back and forth going. Within all of your presentations, plan those questions, plan those moments where you're going to reach out directly to your audience and say, what do you think? Now, if you're speaking to a lot of people, that can be done in the chat box. So you keep an eyeball on the chat and say, you know, has anyone experienced this? Type in a Y or an N in the chat or tell me one word that sums up what you think about trying to do this function and get people um, engaging that way. The key there, though, is that you then have to respond to what's going on in chat, not to everyone. If it's a big group, it'll be too many, but pull out a couple of answers and chat back and forth with them. Mm. verbally as though they are in the room with you it takes thought and deliberation takes uh sorry deliberate deliberate movements to do this so it's going to feel as weird as heck to you but it will feel really good to the people on the other end of the line to the people watching you um another area that people often forget is to dial up their expressiveness a little bit we clam up on camera you're Mm. used to being on camera you know how did you know how to move? Lot, you yeah. smile, you've got facial expression, you move around. For many people, that camera goes on and they say, I'm being watched. <laughs> Especially if they're using virtual backgrounds, because if they move, the pixels them, they pin That's themselves right. to their spot even harder than they were before. You first up, turn off that damn virtual background. I hate those things. Secondly, You need to move around. You have to dial up the expressiveness a little bit so that people can perceive it. The camera dulls our expressions. It's, it's that mediation. So if you're, if you think you're at a two, you don't need to crank it up to a 10. You don't need to go like completely clown town on people, but maybe dial it up to a five or a six and just think a little bit bigger, a little bit more. And that will help you overcome that dullness that you can so often get on camera takes practice. 
Yes. Yes. I agree. It comes naturally for some people. Others may need to practice more just as doing it in person. Yeah. Why do people need to pay attention to mastering these skills? This is now a mainstream form of communication. And the opportunity that it creates for you to connect with clients, to connect with uh, potential business partners, with your team is enormous. This is so much better than a phone call. We can see each other. It's great. But if you don't master it, then it will continue being tiring and awkward. You won't be able to basically take advantage of all of the different things that you can do here to enhance the relationship side of your communication. And that's that's what you really want to focus on. Of course, the rest of it, the using using slides, using polls, using screen share, all of that, those bells and whistles aren't nearly as important as your ability to be on camera well in a way that makes the other feel, person feel like, yeah, they're in this room with me right now. We're connecting on an intimate level. Huge opportunity there for you yeah. to improve your business, increase your business, grow your career, but you have to get good at the medium. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, Lauren, was this idea of building a personal brand and reputation. I have a chapter in my book about that, something I talk about a lot in sessions that I do with companies. We don't dig into the details of leveraging communication platforms, you know, whatever it may be to, to do that. But when it comes to owning your career and building your brand and reputation, how does all this play into that? How do you, what do you advise to people and organizations that are starting to ask or think about that kind of thing? This tool has given us global reach mm. from the smallest solopreneur type business to the biggest company. You can now instantly be in anyone's office with them having a one-on-one -on -one or having a big honking all hands meeting and presentation in the blink of an eye. Like it's eliminated travel costs. It's eliminated so many barriers. And I believe people need to embrace that big time. So as far as really owning your career, like maximizing the use of this tool to grow your career, grow your business, you want to be using it as a way of making those direct outreaches to people. So yes, it means polishing up the, the public speaking chops and the presentation chops, but you want to be generous with your, with your availability in terms of having these face-to-face -face meetings. Can I share this piece of content with you? Can I give this presentation to your company? I have some information that I think will be really valuable to your team. Would you be up for a 30-minute lunch and learn with me? Free of charge. I just want to connect. And this way you can get right into their offices regardless where they are. And they see you. They learn your face. They learn your voice. They know who you are. The, the opportunities in there are extraordinary. I've built my entire business on that throughout the year. Many other people have, but you have to get over that camera shyness and that feeling of, oh, I don't know what to do, so I don't want to do it. You can learn what to do. It's mostly about flipping on the camera and playing, set up a private Zoom meeting with yourself, play around with this, ham it up, see what works, develop those chops, and then reach out to the world because you can get right into their offices now. And you don't want to let this opportunity pass you up. And as far as building your brand to help you in your career, I mean, companies want people that can be able to do these things, right? Yes, absolutely.
absolutely. That's something that I've really noticed has, has finally, in my mind, finally happened over the past couple of years is companies not waiting until their annual big training conference or PD day to have high quality, high impact training with high level experts for everyone involved. They're not mm -hmm. waiting to do that anymore. So things like training opportunities have really increased. And if you've got information that could share that could benefit a company, you can say, hey, how about next month? You don't need to wait until their annual yep. conference when you can be there in person. Yep. How about next month? And then make it happen. Yep. Yeah. And, and as far as looking for the next job, if you can showcase your, your skills and then companies are looking for people who can speak eloquently in front of others in a virtual audience, since that's a lot of way communication is being done now. And if you can showcase yep. that or let people know that you have that skill, that's going to be helpful for you in, in getting that next, uh, especially executive level, higher level job. The single best way to get the next level of job, to prove your expertise, to build a name for yourself, to increase your business, whatever, is to speak. That is the single best way. It, the connection is unparalleled with anyone else, they are hearing your thoughts, the way that you're presenting it, the way that you want them to understand. By demonstrating that you have those speaking skills, you're, you're showing a ton of competence in other areas. It takes a lot of composure to speak. It takes confidence. It takes expert knowledge, of course, but this gives you the ability to demonstrate all of it at once in real time. And so getting that face time in front of people, again, that's where you want to be. This, this is the space that you want to be occupying. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, uh, this has been really great. So useful, both I think for organizations and for people in thinking about how to own their careers and how to master this new virtual world that we live in, especially virtual communication. Last question for you. My book is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And we're talking about careers. So when you hear that, especially the part about owning your career, what does that mean to you? That means that you do not hide from opportunity. So you say, I'm going to own my career. Great. This is what I know. This is what I'm awesome at. I am going to get out there and share it with anyone who is willing to listen. Man, I love it. And for people that want to get in touch with you, find out more about what you do, where's the best place for them to go? Easiest place is laurensergi.com. You'll find me there. And if you want to see some of my other resources, you can also check me out on YouTube. Just look up my name. I've got a ton of videos about all sorts of communication stuff, but everything is also on my website. So please stop by, say hello. All right, laurensergi.com. Check her out on YouTube. And don't forget to get Lauren's new book, Unmute, How to Master Virtual Meetings and Reclaim Your Sanity. Lauren, thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Love talking with you and can't wait to keep in touch. Thank you, Andy. Looking forward to doing it again. All right, take care. All right, that will do it for my interview with Lauren Sergi, all about mastering virtual meetings and communication in the virtual world. Hope you got value from that. I did that over Zoom with Lauren, and afterwards she said that it went really great. <laughs> she loved my eye contact and how I kept things flowing, kept the conversation flowing. I appreciated that because she is an expert on this subject. Um, we talked in there about building your personal brand. And I have a chapter about that in my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And it seems to be, as I go out and do keynotes in companies and do Q&A sessions, almost the number one question that's been coming up these days is about building your brand. This is something that used to be only for entrepreneurs or for companies, but individuals are starting to really pay attention because when it comes to your career, 
And whether you get that next job or that next promotion or that next opportunity, a lot of times it comes down to your brand and your reputation. It's not just the skills that you have or the experience you have, but what do people really think about you? And you have an opportunity to impact that in how you show up, how you interact with people, how you speak and run meetings virtually. People are always looking at everyone around them and judging and making opinions about them, right? You're doing that, I do it, it's natural psychology. And we have an opportunity to impact that, to give people something to feel good about us in how we go about speaking virtually, running virtual meetings, all of that stuff. And so I want you to be paying attention to that. Hopefully this conversation with Lauren was helpful. If you haven't gotten my book, make sure you go grab a copy. It's called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available on Amazon and other places. And we have some free resources on our website, including the five steps to owning your career. One of them is building your personal brand. There is some great information there without buying the book. You can go get that for free. Just go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. Enter your email address there and you'll be able to get access to all of the bonus resources and information. All right, thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.